very much, David. As you've said, nothing can be more motivational than to think about the Lord's soon return. Now, shall we just have a prayer? And that closes our formal proceedings. And then we can relax and we can have an open discussion about anything that you'd like to pick up and uh, ask and discuss amongst each other. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that your word cannot be broken. You're a God who keeps your promises. And we've thought of your promises made to Abraham and they will be fulfilled way into the distant future. But we've been just recently now reminded of the Lord's promise to his disciples that comes down in scripture to us today that he has gone to prepare a place for us and he will come again and receive us to himself. Thank you that these promises cannot be broken and we are so glad that we have this assurance that motivates us in our Christian service now. Now, be with us as we share things in discussion and in due course bless the refreshments that we'll enjoy in our fellowship together as we ask all and give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, um, it's just an opportunity if you have any comments or points for clarification or observation um, or any questions you want to ask. We can have time to do that now. We don't even need to be constrained exactly till nine because we did have a bit of a false start and lost at least five minutes, or not more. So we can uh, have a good 20 minutes discussion if you'd like it. Any starters? Chris? Right, the title Hamas Horrors implies the, they're the bad guys and Israel are the good guys. Um, that's not how the world increasingly see the situation. And I think the more that Israel um, acts against Gaza, going into hospital, etc., the more the world seems to be turning against Israel. And that's not just the traditional ones against Israel, that's kind of the US and the UK government as well. So you can kind of see how the world can be turned against Israel by their actions, whatever what's happening in, in Gaza. The kind of inhumane um, retribution against the very inhumane attack in the first place. But it makes our conversation with people around the Lord's future um, plans quite difficult, doesn't it, when they kind of take the, a Palestinian kind of approach rather than, as we would perhaps do, a more sympathetic view to the nation of Israel. Yeah. That's just a... No, it's a, it's a very fair comment, and I suppose that kind of thought has occurred to many of us and maybe has cropped up in our conversations. Um, yeah, it kind of resonates with the thought that God is sovereign and nothing happens in this world without God's permission and yet God doesn't endorse everything that is happening in this world. And we would even say God doesn't endorse everything that Israel does by way of uh, retaliation and there are atrocities on both sides and we wouldn't like to be uh, defending any specific um, atrocious act even by uh, an Israeli. I think people start off perhaps with a bias uh, against Israel to some extent. Um, the Palestinian refugee crisis whips up a lot of um, sympathy for the Palestinian cause which is against Israel. But I think history would show, and I'm basing this on the 1972 memoirs of the Syrian president who said that at the time of Israel's independence in 1948, uh, the day that Israel declared their independence, 
the US um, endorsed it. But nine Arab countries vowed to annihilate Israel on that day. And what they did, as it is recorded and documented, they said to the Palestinians who were living in the way, said to those Arabs, get out of the way, move out of your dwellings. We are coming through and we're going to pulverize Israel and going to drive them into the men. And so it actually was historically, as is documented, the Arab nations that created the Palestinian refugee crisis, which of course they could settle at any time. There's plenty of land. But they are there as political pawns, and they're there as a very persuasive argument to the world that Israel are the bad guys, and all these poor people. Now, that doesn't deprive us of empathy for, say, the people in Nasser Hospital and what they're going through. And we are, we are not going to justify every action that the Israeli government takes for certain. But when Israel has been attacked in 1948 and 1967, in 1973, I would believe that there is no doubt God was working on Israel's side in general terms. The military odds were overwhelmingly against Israel. You know, hundreds of tanks against a few, thousands of infantrymen against relatively few. They were outnumbered and outgunned. And yet, at the end of these um, attacks against Israel, Israel ended up with greater territory and could have gone on even more. And some secular Israeli soldiers are on record as having said, God did that. If God was not on our side, that could never have happened. So, yeah, Chris, it's a very fair point, and we're not here to defend individual incidents. In the overall picture, we believe Israel is God's people, and that God will fulfill his promises to Israel, and they will be back in the land in due course for the millennial reign of Christ. And that God will judge the nations that he has stated in scripture he's going to judge. Which are all ranged against Israel and implacably hostile to Israel. But yes, there is the ebb and flow and there are certainly atrocities on both sides as we view it. Fair point. Yeah, fine. But the, the idea of a two-state solution can't work then, can it? Because God doesn't want the land divided. Yeah. Yeah, through the prophet Joel, um, he's certainly declaring that is not yeah. his position. They've divided up my land. Um, yes, I think that has been politically problematic and it will continue to be so. Yeah. And uh, whether Israel would ever settle for it's another matter. Whatever happens, Brian, Whatever happens, however it's going to end up, the opinions will always be polarised in this present situation. Because you will get pros and cons everywhere. But what I was thinking about in terms of the Lord's return, so thinking about the scripture in um, Matthew, where it says, you will hear rumours of wars, earthquakes, and so on and everything. And it says, no fear. And then one scripture jumped out at me to me and said, um, first, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And I thought about that and asked myself, in spite of all that's happening, we are all thinking that the Lord could come any time. And maybe some say it's the error all the time where everyone thinks it's happening. <coughs> I'm asking myself, 
media or the gospel is being preached in every nation. How many nations of the world are there today? How many are hearing the gospel? You know, just personal meditation, but asking myself, in spite of all this that's going on, sure. are we any near? That's a good point to raise, Gary. I think many people have that idea, and I've heard people preach it, that uh, before the Lord comes, we need to see the nations being reached, the nations of the world. I don't think we can base that on the Matthew 24 scripture. Um, Matthew 24 and verse 14 says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. I think we're probably on the same page, but let's check that Matthew 24 is post-rapture. It's after the rapture. So this particular mention, we, we're longing for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth. And uh, the Lord said in Acts 1 and verse 8, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lo, I am with you always. Go and make disciples of all the nations. So that is our motivation and let's be ceaseless in doing that and thank God the fellowship's playing its, its good part in that today. But on this particular text, it doesn't provide any restraint to the any moment rapture that David's been speaking to us about. Because, I put it to you, reading it in its context, you know, the one verse before it, he who endures to the end will be saved, then the gospel of the kingdom being preached to all nations. Verse 14, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, you see, we are in the post-rapture period there. We're in the time of great distress that Daniel spoke about. It is confusing for, for so many, isn't it? Because this portion in Matthew 24 talks about the elect, but it's the elect of those days, not the elect of the church, the body, today. Uh, it does speak about the gathering of people, but it's not our gathering to the Lord Jesus. It does speak about people being taken. Uh, we, we've all heard this, and we've heard the gospel preached on it. Um, two men in the, the field... One taken, one left, left behind. Uh, we've got two women grinding at the mill, one taken, one left behind. The words left behind kind of resonate with the left behind series of Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. But here, in this chapter, if you found yourself, sadly, in the context of this chapter, and none of us will, if we believe in Jesus Christ now, if you found yourself here, you would want to be left behind. Because the rapture that's in Matthew 24 is not the one David's been speaking about, which is Christ snatching up his church, all who believe in him, in this church age. But this, let's read the verse, in verse 39, it will be like the days before the flood. They didn't understand until the flood came and took them all away. So the flood came, who did it take away? It took away the wicked. It took away the wicked in judgment. They were taken away in judgment. And Jesus said, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. There will be two men in the field, two women grinding at the mill, and so on. Therefore, those who are taken away in this verse are taken away in judgment. And those left behind will be able to go into the millennial <coughs> kingdom in their natural bodies, the separation of the sheep from the goats. So, Matthew 24, read it and enjoy it. But it's a word for the Jews, and it's a word for after the rapture. And gives good point about preaching the gospel, or the Great Commission. 
let's just be sure. We don't need to see every nation being reached with the gospel before Jesus returns for his church. Because this is after the rapture. Maybe somebody wants to come back and challenge or clarify that. <laughs> well, in Mark's gospel, it doesn't go on to add anything. It just says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Mm -hmm. That's what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. Full stop. Nothing else. And that comes after all the earthquakes and wars and rumours and famines and so on. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that's in, in verse 10 of, yes. of Mark 13, gives you right. And then in verse 14, again, it goes on to say the abomination that makes desolate. Uh, again, the image of the beast mm -hmm. that's set up in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Um, so we're we're looking away at that future time there. Any other comments on that? I shouldn't have the last word on this. And if it's a rapture question, it's David that'll be answering it. <laughs> the first rapture, anyway. Yes, <laughs> the rapture of the the ones who are good because Christ has made them good, not the rapture of the wicked who have made themselves wicked. Because he couldn't make what we know, what we've heard tonight, more public in our country, isn't it? What we can see. We'd probably be persecuted for doing it, Doreen, but yeah. <laughs> I'd be up for it. Perhaps you use television or something like that to tell the people. Do you know, you, you mentioned that point, Doreen, that makes me think of something that this view that we presented, it's, it's standard fellowship view, other than the special um, speculation of perhaps thinking mid-Eastern uh, rather than mid-European, but overall the, the whole framework of rapture and seven years of trouble focused on Israel and then the coming of the Lord to the earth and judgment and the reigning for a thousand years, that is our fellowship view and it would be a view that came to us from the brethren and G.N. Darby often gets his name associated with this type of view, this premillennialist picture, we would say goes right back to scripture. However, amongst Christians generally, though you're talking about talking to other people, if we talk to our brothers and sisters in Christ, perhaps most of them would not share the kind of linear progression that we set out in sequence this evening. You read really good Bible scholars, Good because we appreciate them in so many other areas when we're looking at verses, but they've got everything kind of all happening at once at the end. They don't separate it out in an orderly fashion. So why do we do that? We do that because we take a literal approach to Scripture, and that's what it leads us to. We do that because we separate between Israel and the church, God's purpose for Israel and God's purpose for the church. And if you keep them distinct, you come to this two-stage second coming of Jesus Christ. And David's been talking about that first stage of the second coming of Christ. And things that I've been saying are happening now could be paving the way for things that are happening for the second stage of the second coming of Christ. But we separate them like that, and I believe with all my heart it's the right way, it's the proper exposition of Scripture, but just bear in mind, if you're talking to other believers, they don't see it in that orderly progression that we do. Because, again, from Matthew 24, where we were a moment or two ago, it says that in the time of Christ's coming, Matthew 24 coming, second stage of the second coming, it says the sun will be darkened, 
The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers of heaven will be shaken. And people will see the sign of the Son of Man in the clouds. That's a pre-signaled coming. That's not the any moment rapture of the church. So we're not looking for those signs in the heavens. We are believing that at any moment, before we get our refreshments, not joking, the Lord could come at any moment. Nothing standing between. But what's in Matthew 24, when the Lord comes second stage of the second coming to the earth, that's going to be pre-signaled. People are going to know in advance, a little bit in advance, that that's happening. So we've got strong biblical reasons, I'm saying, for sifting it out in a sequence like this. But not all would agree with us. I think it's worth saying, though, although it's true, it's not only the churches of God that believe this. There are other evangelical Christians who believe it, too. I just wouldn't like anyone to go away thinking it's our little doctrine that we've made up. Certainly not. We may be in a minority, but we're not an exclusive minority on that topic, for sure. Bible maps, you know, it's pretty standard actually, Rhoda. If we look at the Bible maps at the back of our Bible, we would find that the places, like for example, I'm looking at one here, the divided kingdoms of Israel and uh, Judah, and you've got you've got Moab and Ammon uh, and Syrians uh, there, Aram, etc. So obviously, we know from the Old Testament where those Bible names relate geographically. And that's standard. That's there in our Bible maps. So all we've done is we've taken those names and a few others, admittedly, that are slightly more obscure, I grant you, but we've kept the, the places the same as can be determined from biblical geographical research. Yeah, with the more um, obscure ones, how did we get them? Um, Basically, um, looking around the other commentators as well, and looking for a consensus. Um, probably, I certainly wouldn't have known uh, off the cuff that the Hagrites referred to the Egyptians, but that is um, put forward by multiple commentators, and so I, I've accepted that. I was thinking, as you as you talk, if you most people that you talk to wouldn't don't even know much about. The prophets, do they? Mm. Unless they're very mm. um, godly Christians and Bible lovers. But if, if people could be faced up with these things, it's just so obvious when you say it and exciting. Um, but nobody really knows it. Mm. What I find interesting on that score, Brian, is that if you listen to some modern journalists today describing events, like they were describing events in um, the recent Turkish earthquake. They were mentioning some of the biblical names, and there I found that very interesting. You know? mm. um, they mentioned the place, and then they put in bracket, it used to be common, such and such. You hear that. So they themselves have um, studied and dug it up and found that it's similar. Yes. That place that had the Turkish um, earthquake was Antioch. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what Gabe was referring to about in the, the next presentation. <coughs> yeah. 
It's possible he is, uh, Andrea. I don't expect that we would be able to positively identify him. I think 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is quite clear that the mystery of lawlessness comes first and is revealed before the man of lawlessness is revealed. And I don't think he will be fully identified until after the rapture. Personal thought. Um, and I, I find it futile to speculate. Um, I think that um, what we've been trying to put forward are things that we can support from Scripture. It's like trying to exposit Scripture. Um, and again, going back to uh, Rhoda's point, I mean, most of these places like Tyre and Sidon, we know where they are from our Bible maps, from the geography of the New Testament, and that's clearly the Lebanon today, clearly where Hezbollah are attacking Israel with missiles from Philistia, is well known to us, etc. And uh, those particular countries, we know where Edom was, and we can identify just the modern place names today. So I think it don't be one or so that I'd be a bit um, unsure of. Uh, and accepting other people's um, convictions on, but the rest I think are quite clear from our own reading of scripture and our Bible maps. I think the, cur the current uh, activities in, in Israel are just so exciting, because one of the things that we know is that um, when the Lord comes back to the earth, that's the second part of the second coming, he comes back to the earth the temple will be built. And I remember Jack Ferguson, you referred to him earlier, saying, keep your eyes on that mosque. There's a mosque that's built on the foundations of the temple. That mosque is going to disappear. It's got to disappear one day. And it's just so exciting when you see the, all this going on, that you keep your eyes open, because soon we're getting closer and closer to a temple being built. In the, on the old site and we know that once that's completed the Lord's coming back <clears throat> just a little aside on that and then you can forget that I said this <laughs> in, in John chapter 19 and in verse 13 we read that Pilate when he heard these words he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement but in Hebrew Gabbatha and in the margin, we have the Greek, lithostrotos, and it means an outcropping of rock. So it seems in Temple Mount, there was a known outcropping of rock, and Pilate used it for his judgment. If that, big if, but if that is in any way a reference to the Dome of the Rock, as came to be uh, encompassed within the Al-Aqsa Mosque, etc., then the Jewish temple would be separate from that. And you could even have a rebuilt temple without dismantling the Dome of the Rock building. Which might mean for a quicker solution of how we're going to get that temple. I don't know, but we're going to get that temple and it's, it's definitely going to be there. There will be a third temple because there will be sacrifices and offerings carried out by Jews with the permission of the Antichrist for three and a half years before he emerges from the abyss, his death stroke healed and reveals his true colours, and he sets himself forth as God. So if he's used the guise of religion to get to power, 
seems he dispensed with that particular guise of religion. And he is blatantly setting himself forth as God. And that's what the devil has always wanted. He's wanted the worship of mankind through his man in that third and rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. But that's after the first rapture. Oh, yes. Yes. We don't see any of that in the Years ago, Alfred Chamings used to lead um, people to visit various places in Israel. And he was forever going about the temple going to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. He present at Laxon Mosque. He was convinced that that was going to be it. And that's the time that this uh, abomination will be taken, will come into place when you see the abomination of coming. In other words, man of sin, <coughs> the temple where he doesn't belong. That's when he was going to. Alfred Chamming was very convinced about that. And, mm -hmm. you know, listening to him as youngsters. You know. got a final point they're desperate to make? Doesn't seem like it. I just so. want to share the gospel more, doesn't it, with those that mm. we, we know we're not saved and who will pass through that. You know, so that should be our, our encouragement for others, as well as looking forward to the Lord's return, looking forward to the fact that for those we know that are not saved and will pass through that. God certainly doesn't reveal prophecy to us to satisfy our sense of curiosity, but uh, what we believe about the world to come should shape our lives in the present world. <coughs> as we wait for the Lord's return. Consider what manner of people we ought to be, Peter would say in 2 Peter 3. <coughs> These things are going to happen from the earth. Well, thank you very much for coming and traveling.